Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your Quarter Pounder. I'll try your filet of fish There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, Psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Paranormal Stakeout. I'm Larry Lawson, your host and guide on our continuing journey into the unknown as we search for answers of things that be- lie beyond our reality. Uh, coming, the program is coming to you tonight from the Exxon Broadcast Network in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And I'm speaking to you from the Exxon Nation's Southern Command Post in beautiful Vero Beach and Felsmere, Florida. Um, as most of you know that follow the show, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the things in my wheelhouse, ghosts, spirits, what lies beyond the reality of life and what's out there after death. But tonight, we're going to change things up a little bit. I think it's uh, particularly uh, appropriate considering the announcement today of the first photograph of the black hole, which I hope uh, some of you got a chance to, to watch and experience today. But we're going to discuss uh, probably the birthplace of UFOlo- ufology, here in our country anyway, Area 51. And to do that, I've got our guest tonight, Mr. Thornton D., otherwise known as T.D. Barnes. Uh, T.D. is an author, entrepreneur. He grew up at a, on a ranch at Delhart, Texas. After graduating from high school, he embarked on a 10-year military career. He served as an Army intelligence specialist in Korea and continued his education while in the U.S. Army, attending two and a half years of missile and radar electronics school by day and college by night. He later deployed uh, with the very first Combat Hawk Missile Battalion during the Soviet Iron Curtain threat before attending the Artillery Officer Candidate School, and that's where an injury ended his military career. Barnes first became involved with U.S. intelligence agencies while in the Army and during the CIA's Project Palladium, and an on-and-off relationship continues today. His career includes serving as a field engineer at the NASA High Range in Nevada for the X-15, XB-70 lifting bodies and lunar landing vehicles. He also worked on the Nerva Project at Jackass Flats, Nevada, and served in the Special Projects 
Division at Area 51. He currently uh, is the CEO of Startel Incorporated, a landowner company uh, that's involved in the mining of landscape rock and gold in Nevada. He is the president of Roadrunners International, an association of Area 51 CIA Air Force and contractor veterans. He's also the executive director of the Nevada Aerospace Hall of Fame. He's, he's had two National Geographic documentaries that he's appeared on, Area 51 Declassified and CIA Secrets of Area 51, along with other documentaries on several channels. He's also the author of a trilogy uh, involving the CIA and his work, the first one being The Angels, followed by The Archangels and The Company Business. And he also has an autobiography out in print, Soaring with Eagles. TD, welcome to Paranormal Stakeout, my friend. My, my pleasure. So, wow, this is a this is a really fascinating thing. Like I said, I was watching the um, the announcement of the new photograph of the the first black hole. Uh, I found that fascinating. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. I did. And I thought, Very well. Yeah, it's pretty timely to to have you on tonight. But uh, you know, I Area Fifty One it it creates an immediate mystique among those that even mention it and you spent time there tell, tell us how you got there tell us how your career got started <laughs> i got once you ever get uh, do anything for the cia you never you never get out of it and uh, of course i got involved with them i was in the army at fort bliss and the uh and it had to do with every fifth one I, I didn't know it at the time but then they they um they recruited me uh right after i got out of service and um uh, it all had to do with Area 51, even though I didn't initially go out there. I was on the NASA high range, but um, I was a member of what's called the Seven Sisters. And it was the seven radar sites that the CIA would contact anytime uh -huh. they could be flying anything out of Area 51 so that we could monitor it, but we would not report it. And that was uh, that was that Project Palladium? No, that's actually uh, uh, part of the uh, Archicart program when they started doing the A-12. The Project Palladium, you talk about the, you know, the, the um, uh, NASA today on, on the, the uh, black hole. When they started Project Palladium, uh, they were preparing to uh, build the A-12 plane to replace the U-2. Mm -hmm. And they shared the death of the capability of the Soviet Union, how much were they going to be able to shoot this plane down? We knew we were going to lose the U-2 eventually. We hadn't lost Gary Powers yet, that, that particular flight. But they, uh, we, we did know it was going to happen, or they did. And they, were, uh, they designed this A-12, and they wanted to know if they would be, the Russians would be able to shoot it down. Because they built this plane purely to fly over Russia. And um, the uh, CIA got wind of the of Soviets having a new radar. They picked it up, they get reflection off of ICBMs inside of Russia. And so they monitored it to see, you know, what, what's going on here. Well, the Russians moved one to Cuba. And this is 1960 before the missile crisis, when they were moving everything in. And Project Palladium was what it was, is find a ghost plane out of a big Air Force base at El Paso, right next door to where I stationed. And they had to take a run at Cuba. And they'd make them turn on this radar, and then electronically they would answer this radar and make them think they'd track one plane, two planes, ten planes, going, coming, whatever they wanted to do. And, they, you know, they'd crank the power down, and then the Russians would turn theirs up. So what they did was they uh, learned the capabilities of this of the radar, and they determined, yes, it would be they would be able to track the uh, A-12 in time to be able to shoot it down. And... Mm -hmm. uh, so, but what was interesting about this is, um, and, and I, that's where they recruited me because I was well advanced into some of the electronics at uh, Fort Bliss. I was pretty well known at the time, and they uh, uh, got, recruited me to go on a couple of these ghost uh, flights in the uh, with Fly B-97 uh, and uh, evaluate what the Russians should do. And what we did then was put a bigger um, antenna off of Morgantown, uh, uh, right out of Morgantown in New Jersey, right off the turnpike, aimed at the moon, and in 30 days, we knew every radar site in Russia from the reflections off the moon. Wow. Wow. Now, the, the A-12, I think most people uh, would recognize its, um, 
its offspring, for lack of a better term, or the, the horse in its lineage is the SR-71, correct? Yeah, everybody knows about the SR-71, but the SR-71 was the fourth uh, blackbird in the family, the family of four. Mm-hmm. The CIA built the first one, it was a single-seater, and, you know, the SR-71 claims all of the uh, speed records and altitude records, but the truth is, uh, when they put that second man in the cockpit and all the life support, they lost 5,000 feet of altitude and quite a considerable amount of speed. But mm-hmm. because the CIA's plane remained top secret for another 20 years after they, they stopped flying it even, uh, it couldn't claim any of the records. So the SR-71 guy got to claim all the records. But uh, we were, uh, as CIA guys, we referred to the um, SR-71 as the family model. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> and they also had an interceptor model too. Uh, uh, I mean, I love talking about aircraft. The uh, YF-12, I guess, was the interceptor version of it that yeah, they were going to use. One, yes, we we did. We built three of those, and then we had a mothership with the uh, for a drone that we were building, and uh, we were launching a drone off of a, at Mark three, off the back of a modified A-12, what it was, and it was to fly over China, spying on their Soviet activity. And um, we fi- ended up, uh, we had a crash and killed the uh, back seater. So we started flying, used B 52 to fly it after that, and it, we turned it over to the Air Force. But out of Area 51, we flew, we flew flying missions um, out of Area 51 um, out into the Pacific and launching this drone. So uh, it's quite an interesting program, but it did, we ended up killing the person we decided the uh, mothership just wasn't the way to go with it. Mm. Well, uh, the. Uh... That period of time, a time of a, a lot of tension in this country, uh, of course, we were at odds with the Soviet Union. U-2, and now you say Gary Powers had not been shot down yet in the U-2, but all, a lot of things were changing, a lot of things that w- were happening in this country that caused us to uh, experiment on ways to hide better. And that caused um, an interesting little concept, this uh, op, uh, Project Palladium which I, I find very fascinating. And uh, if you could kind of uh, fill in the gaps a little bit, my understanding is that was to send up false radar signals, correct? Exactly, yeah, that, that was, it was well advanced in his time. Uh, and Gene, a fellow named Gene Poteet was head of that. He was a, uh, worked for CIA and he was an electronic engineer and uh, went on to get his doctorate degree in it. But the, um, uh, we used this ghost plane, with an, we had antennas and stuff all over this thing. And we'd fly it rushing, and like I said, we, 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 once they started locked onto it, then we could uh, electronically answer it and, and make it think anything we wanted to. That was, and as well advanced at its time. You know, we just, um, of course, that's, we advanced on that quite a bit after that, but that's how we we got them to uh, turn up the power, do this and that, and, and learn the capabilities. And what we ended up doing then, of course, we built our own version of the tall king radar is the name of it. We built mm-hmm. our own version of it out of Area 51 so that we didn't have to fly over Cuba or over Russia to see if we were, uh, our, our stealth was working. So that's one thing the CIA was working very heavy on with the A-12. That was our first stealth plane. A lot of people don't know that, but the CIA insisted that we were going to get into stealth business, and that's what Area 51 turned into with the CIA was uh, uh, stealth. That's what we did for the 10 years after we quit flying the A-12. If we were doing the Soviet MiGs, uh, exploiting those, you know, turn, turn them down, see how they build and then flying them, and then they, we were doing the stealth at the same time. Yeah. Well, when we get back here, we're about ready to take our break. I want to talk to you a little more about Project Palladium and how that fits into the UFO story. Uh, so, folks, uh, I've got T.D. Barnes uh, in the history of Area 51. Stick with us. We're going to be back right after this break here on Paranormal Stakeout. Stay tuned. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, 
where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And we are back on Paranormal Stakeout. My guest tonight, T.D. Barnes of former special projects officer at Area 51. And, T.D., just before the breaks, we were talking a little bit about uh, Project Palladium. And I find it fascinating because it, and correct me if I've got this wrong, but th this was a project where um, we actually would duplicate another aircraft in the sky that enemy radar would detect and think that that's, that's what was over their airspace. Do I have that somewhat correct? Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't actually be an aircraft. It'd be just the electronic signals. But uh, right, right. We could we could simulate um, a whole fleet of planes if we wanted to. And um, what was the was there a downside to that project at all? None that I know of. It 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 told us uh, we never flew. Put it this way, we never flew another flight in an aircraft over uh, over. Um, Russia, after your power got shot down. Okay, so they didn't even have to send up another aircraft to, to bounce the signal off of you, just sent it out themselves. Well, how did this fit into, and did it fit into the UFO story? I don't, I, I don't know the connection on that. I, um, what what story are you referring? Well, the, the, there's not a specific story, but there was talk about this the. the uh, Project Palladium perhaps being what radar um, radar uh, uh, air traffic controllers, for example, might catch on their on their screens and call a UFO when it really wasn't even out there, and that's where many reports oh. came from. That's kind of what I'm referring to. That that that, that could happen. Uh, I don't know of it happening. Put it that, uh, that way, but absolutely, uh, we could do that to any radar. Yeah, we could, mm -hmm. and, and this was the 1960s, mind you. This is a long time ago. But if we had that capability that we could uh, play games with any radar that we wanted to. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about a little bit about Area 51. How? Uh, what was your, What were your duties there, if, if you can tell us, or what you can tell us? Yeah, it's, it's all been declassified, the stuff we were doing. Of course, we can talk about what they're doing now. And, and there's certain things we still don't, just because of the technology involved that we think it would benefit China or Russia or someone that we don't talk about. But the um, um, basically, we were evaluating, uh, like I say, we were very deep into stealth. We had the um, the um, prototype of the A-12 plane on, on the pylon for like 16, 18 months. Uh, and trim, doing this and doing that to, you know, get it down to try to make a stealth vehicle out of it. We, we'd, Made it about 90% stealth, but that thing handled, carried 80,000 pounds of fuel, first of all. And you can't hide that fuel from even uh, from radar. And then it, it was a very hot plane. It'd get up, you know, 
over 1100 degrees in a lot of places uh, and uh, any uh, uh, infrared would pick it up. So we had to give up on making it a true stealth, but we continued with stealth and we developed other aircraft, uh, you know, like the Hab Blue and some of that. It became the F-117 and it became a um, one of the main things they did out of Area 51 was, uh, you know, stealth. Was a, was a what? I didn't quite hear that. That, that. that became one of the main things they did at Area 51 was stealth. That uh-huh. and, the, um, okay. and the Soviet MiGs. Well, they tested the Soviet MiGs. Now, I'm also, and correct me if I've got this story wrong, that possibly uh, uh, when uh, Russian satellites flew, or I'm sorry, satellites flew over to photograph you guys uh, played a few pranks, is that correct? <laughs> yeah. They, uh, uh, this kind of, we call them ash cans. They were, they were the launch satellites overnight. You know, we stayed up there all week. We'd go up on Monday morning and go home Friday night. Uh-huh. And... Uh, the morning security was telling us, here's what they launched over, during the night. And we'd know whether it's infrared or we'd know whether it was the RF seeking. No, we'd know what type it was. And if it was RF seeking, we'd turn off all emissions, all the radios, all the radar. But if the infrared, we would, well, first thing we'd have to do is move the plane off the pylon and hide it from them. And this another story on that, I'll tell you. But um, we would hide everything. And But then we would... Uh, uh, out of cardboard or plywood or whatever, we would build it in shape of some kind of exotic plane and put it in front of a hangar. And you got get a couple of these shop heaters and put on the back end of it. And light fills up and the satellite go over and they pick up these uh, the heat off these heaters and they think the plane just landed. And we probably made them waste a lot of satellite time coming to wonder what in the world is that down there? Because we played a lot of games like that. <laughs> and uh, probably one of the better secrets uh, in fooling the uh, the Russians back in the day. Um, Area 51 evokes just so many uh, so many visions of UFOs and stealth technology, yes, but also the, uh, the United States cover-up of extraterrestrials. How many years did you actually spend at Area 51? Physically, I was out there about five years. I was uh, really with almost ten years, but the uh... On, on boots on the ground about about five years. During your five years there, what sort of what sort of things did you experience that you uh, couldn't explain, or may have been from someplace other than the United States, other than the MIGs, of course. We didn't experience anything, but but I think we caused some of it because that's one of the things. Uh, while we were so. Uh, conscious about the uh, the stealth thing. Uh, even with the U-2, we were trying to uh, camouflage it where people wouldn't see it. You know, they would uh, it'd flash up in the air flying 13 miles up and it would be a UFO sighting because no one knew that we had planes that fly that high. And we tried, first thing we did was try painting it. And the weight of the paint caused us to lose 1,500 feet of altitude, just that much weight. Mm-hmm. So, so then we had what we called the dirty bird. We had <laughs> it was like can of wires thrown all over and all that kind of stuff, and it and that didn't work either. And that's our first attempts at stealth. So the A twelve, you know, we really got serious about it. And you know, it was, they would be spotted at times, but no one knew we had these planes. We we were flying twice as high as anyone anyone else was flying, and uh, so. It was a UFO, you know, but people see it every now and then, and uh, there's not supposed to be anything flying that high, so it was a UFO. Mm-hmm. Were, during, during your time there, did you ever see any craft that you did not think were manufactured in this country or on this planet there? Did you ever see anything at all that would lead you to believe that Area 51 was involved in the hiding of or working on extraterrestrial craft no we didn't see anything like that and you know a lot of people have talked about this and George, you probably know george knapp who he is he's just friend of mine we've talked about this and, and i've convinced him i think um, that'd be the worst place in the world to try to have that kind of a project because first of all russia's russia knew we were there and they were spying on us and so we had these satellites flying over everybody in the world that knew that we were there was trying to find out what we were doing. So 
if you don't work on that kind of program, you, you would have moved, well, you'd like the MiGs. You know, we actually developed the MiG squadron and the Russians would, would fly over Area 51 to see what we're doing with them. So we moved them to Tonopal, another town here in, in uh, uh, Nevada. And the Russians kept looking at Area 51, but we would fly them at different locations. So you do the same thing if you had a, a UFO program going. But I always said if you don't have something like that going, you'd hide it in plain sight. It'd be out on some little island somewhere off, out off of St. Louis or someplace and um, call it a mad child disease uh, research institute or something or other. People get used to it, and you get where they didn't even pay attention to it. And uh, but try to hide it there, fifty one would have been a bad place. But, but you know, not, the UFO stories didn't start to the, like in the nineteen eighty, as far as Area fifty one. That's when the Air Force took over from the CIA, and the word got out that there was an Area fifty one. Up to then, the one you got us, and uh, and I think that's what started the associating things for the Area fifty one is they. What in the world have they been doing for 20 years that we don't know about? And I think that's where, and of course, no one's telling them. So I think that's where a lot of the stories started. Well, and there's a lot of stories, too, and a lot of eyewitnesses. A lot of people have come out of the, um, of the business there. Uh, former employees talked about things that have happened. Where are they getting these stories? Oh, we flew some weird stuff out here. And this this be a lot of because. You know, it, it's a testing place. Like, for example, a lot of UFO sightings have been seen up in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Boeing country. And Boeing would build it. They would be in competition, say, with Lockheed down in uh, California on a new plane that they want to sell to the government. Well, they would develop them in their home territory and, and actually fly them on their own ranges. That would account for a lot of, uh, of uh, sightings up there. Then they'd bring them to Area 51. And that's where we would evaluate them. We would say, you know, show us what you got. So we had all the radar and all these uh, systems there that we could evaluate what they, we kept, uh, you know, what they had built. But we built a lot of proof of concept. Uh, we got where we call them platforms. Um, they weren't necessarily planes that, you know, they flew. And, but they weren't flying software, but we call them platforms. They were technology demonstrators. and. And, uh, you know, like a tacket blue, you're probably familiar with it. We call it the whale. Weirdest looking thing you ever saw, but we got more uh, useful technology out of it. And it developed the, the uh, B-2 bomber and uh, uh, summer cruise missiles, a lot of things like that came from that kind of uh, a prototype. But that we had a lot of weird stuff flying out there. What's the weirdest bird you ever saw fly out of there? <laughs> I think the, the, the weirdest one was uh, probably the half blue. I was there when we, the first time we put the little prototype of it on the pole. I never seen anything so utterly as weird in my life. And uh, that was so much fun to evaluate that thing. Because, you know, with the first test, because we had every radar on the man sitting there. And we'd look at it. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. I hate to interrupt you, uh, TD, but we're about ready to go to our next break. I want to continue this story about the weirdest aircraft you've ever seen at Area 51. So, folks, stay with us. I've got TD Barnes, former uh, Special Projects uh, member at Area 51. Stick with us. We'll be back right after these messages. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. 
It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.future. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at discounttire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of. Of GodAmen.com. You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. And we are back on Paranormal Stakeout. My guest tonight, T.D. Barnes, uh, former uh, special projects officer at Area 51. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation, T.D., because this, uh, like I said, gets me out of uh, my normal uh, comfort zone, talking about the, the spirit world and talking about uh, ghosts and, or I'm sorry, about UFOs. And like I said, a particularly interesting considering today's announcement on the black hole photograph so very interesting going back to that ugliest craziest strangest looking aircraft you ever saw at area 51 can you kind of continue on with your thoughts on that that was kind of an interesting story yeah you know, we built uh lockheed built two uh, had blue a prototype that eventually became the f-117 mm-hmm. and they brought the you know small scale prototype and we took it on we call it the pro and they piled on we had a number of these piled on panel while we were testing, but uh, we put it on pole and looked at it the first time. It, you know, we got all kind of reflection off of it, and they took it back in and showed up about a couple months later. We put it back on and it, you know, made changes in it. We kept doing this, and you know, the the, the signature would get smaller each time. You know, they were making improvements on it, and we finally got it down to the point where a bird landed on the prototype would show up more than the, the plane we were looking at. Mm-hmm. And it got where the the uh, the pole, the metal pole that we were sitting on was giving us too much background. So we actually built a styrofoam pole to put it on, so we wouldn't get that reflection. And we got we got it down where the the uh, helmet and the rims on the pilot's glasses would show up more than the plane did. And uh. you know, that was quite exciting uh, evolution as we were developing stealth. Oh, that is a fascinating story. And, of course, the F-117, I think they've retired that, that bird now, haven't they? Yeah, it's retired. They, it's still flyable. We, we we still got them here in Nevada, and they still flying them some just to uh, keep them in shape in case they ever need them again and, and keeping our uh, keeping us uh, proficient with pilots that get flying them. Uh, just in case, uh, we, we still got them, and uh, they could be used again. Now, they still got some A-12s that are in mothballs but still flyable, correct? No, the, the only the only A12 they could fly is the one at uh, at uh, Palmdale, the one they okay. had in the Blackbird Airport. What we did they, to move them and all, we had to cut the wings off. Uh, we we made a lot of uh, a lot of blowtorch work on them uh, to move them to the museums and places, and, and they're not flyable. But How about this, the S- this, this one is? How about SR71s? Are they all completely decommissioned? Most of those, now, they, they, the one probably at uh, Dayton, I, I think, you know, they flew it down there and then put it in a museum, so I'm sure it could still fly. 
I don't know of any other that uh, would still be as liable, but they uh, pretty well decommissioned them entirely. Just a, a fascinating airplane. The, 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 the whole family, Blackbird family, is just a fascinating aircraft. And I'll tell you, the men that flew it, um, true heroes, true American heroes, in my opinion. Accidents at uh, Area 51, Groom Lake, anywhere through there. I, what can you tell me about accidents that have occurred up there? Have we? I mean, were they common? Uh, they were all experimental aircraft, test pilots flying these birds. What kind of accident uh, uh, record was out there? Uh, pretty, pretty serious record. We lost, uh, we lost four. Uh, the CIA lost four U-2 pilots during the program, and then uh, uh, the uh, Hab Blue. We built two Hab Blues, and both of them crashed out of Air 51, and the we, and they're still buried out there. We uh, we didn't. Uh, you know, the remains shipping in some junkyard or someplace, and then the Russians pick it up or throw it and learn about a stealth. So we buried them right on the spot. Uh, but the um, SR 71, I mean, there's A 12. We, let's see, we lost one, two, three. We lost about four of those. Um, one of them was um, Walt Ray, he, he fueled up, you know, a normal flight of A 12. These things fly at, at um, Mark three, 2,200 miles an hour. So we take off and head north first uh, up to Idaho or someplace and then loop around to Albuquerque and say we were going to launch something uh, out in the Pacific. And then we'd head, head to California. All this just took a few minutes to do this. Anyway, uh, a fellow named Walt Ray was flying, coming home with about 30 minutes out and he'd refueled at Albuquerque and he run out of fuel. We don't, to this day, we don't know what happened. But he was a little short guy, and he was uncomfortable in the seat of the A-12, and he had built it, put a two before beneath his headrest. So he oh. rested his head against it. He had to punch out, and the way these things work, you know, they eject the seat. It just got a, it propels it out of the craft, and he rides the seat down to 14,000 feet, and then it pushes the pilot out of the seat, and then the parachute opens. Okay. And got to that stage, it tried to push him out. His parachute had jammed against that two before. And uh, he rode the seat all the way to the ground and killed him. And uh, he'd been married three months. You know, really, really tragic loss. And then we lost Jack Weeks uh, right at the end of uh, Operation Black Shield, where we're flying over North Korea and North Vietnam. And um, they, we, they, the program was over. We were, everybody was coming home. Uh, an engine had overheated in one of the planes, and so we changed the engine, and Jack took it up for a fundamental test flight to make sure everything's okay before he had hit it home with it, and we never, never heard from him again. It, something happened, and uh, we had a, what we call a bird watcher on the plane. It, it was telemetry, and so we didn't tell if anything was wrong. And whatever happened was so fast, we got three chirps on the uh, bird watcher, and that was it, and he did he, he, him and the plane just disappeared. No trace, no wreckage I, found? Never found it, not a thing, never, never found a thing. And, and that's really, really tragic. And then we had uh, Ken Collins, he had to bail out of one up in here in Nevada. His is kind of historic, he bailed out of the plane was upside down in clouds mm -hmm. when he punched out. And uh, uh, and it turned out it was just ice building up on the, the the two were giving false indication. He, he jumped out of a perfectly good plane, but didn't know it at the time. And, um, and, then, uh. <laughs> and then we had one other, and it crashed out. They'd reversed, Lockheed had reversed the cables. And a funny story on this. And, um, and, and as, as it's taken off on the first flight, uh, Milvanovich was flying it, and we, you know, throttled up. Instead of going up, it went down. And he, so he punched out and his parachute opened just in time, just as his right foot hits the ground, he sprung his ankle, that's all it did. And uh, of course, ruined the plane. And Dr. Whelan, who was head of science and technology at Langley, him and we had a general, uh, um, but the, uh, let's see, Whelan, uh, I think, uh, uh, Jack, anyway, they, they jumped on a plane to head down, you know, this is a big deal, we lost the plane. 
They decided to pick up Kelly Johnson, the engineer at Lockheed that built these things. Right. They assigned the Area 51. Well, well, Kelly could get pretty abrasive at times. And on the way up there, he started bad-mouthing the pilots. The General Ledford, that was the general's name, Jack Ledford. And he said, if you'd hire some decent pilots, we wouldn't have these problems. And Jack took offense with it. He just knocked the crap out of Kelly Johnston. But Bud Whelan, the head of science and technology at CIA, is on a plane going to Area 51, had to break up a fight between the Brigadier General and Kelly Johnston. And it turned out the problem was Lockheed's problem. It wasn't the pilots. It was uh, simply the, the reverse of a couple cables. I would have I would have bought tickets to that fight. I can tell you that right now. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> I'll bet it was. Um, but the one, all the things that have happened out there, all the things you've talked about, you've never seen anything connected with extraterrestrials at Area 51, correct? No, ever. Not- no, never, and you'll, you'll never find any of the pilots or that's find the blackbirds and what have you. None of them saw anything. You know, you know, we talk about this, and as I said, I've never, never seen anything um, that would, you know, make me keep looking out the windows. You know, um, they, just nothing that they couldn't explain. This you, you see strange stuff, I'm sure, but nothing that you would associate with, with being outer space. Then and I know you you talked about most of the stories apparently started coming out when the Air Force took over, but um, why why are we why are so many people convinced that Area 51 is the is the earthbound headquarters for re uh, reverse engineering uh, alien spacecraft, alien autopsies? Why is that happening? I think it's just because of the secrecy of it. They, they no one could figure out until we. They finally started declassifying stuff, you know, just in recent years. But mm-hmm. they, you know, people like myself could, could talk about it. So it's such a mystery. And um, so people are very, very curious, you know, what, what is, what have they been doing out there? But if you, to me, I tell you, frankly, that working in Area 51 was a lot more boring for me than, than working on the NASA high range by a long shot. NASA, <laughs> NASA high range is what was exciting. Now, because we were, Launching the X-15 up in the fringes of outer space, the X-70, the lifting bodies became the space shuttle, and then we did the lunar landing vehicles. It was a very dynamic place to work. It, where Area 51, you know, particularly when we was doing stealth, we might do evaluation of the prototype, and then they said, we'll be back with it. We may not see them again for another three months. Mm-hmm. And there just wasn't that much stuff going on out there. It sounds so much like Area 51 um, w- really was the birthplace of where our, our space program began in so many ways with the X-15 and everything. How, what's your thoughts on that statement? Yeah, the X-15 wasn't really affiliated with Area 51, except that was a, one of our um, uh, landing sites uh, if we, in an emergency. We never landed, uh-huh. of course. But the, but the X-15, was, we got so much out of it. It was nothing but a workhorse. We weren't testing the uh, vehicle itself. Everything that went to the moon on Apollo, I, we tested it first in the X-15. Okay, and with that, I'm going to have to cut you short on this. we got to go to our last break. So stay with us, folks. i got T.D. Barnes with me, Area 51 Special Projects Officer. Be back right after these last messages. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And we are back. Paranormal Stakeout, round four for tonight with T.D. Barnes, Special Projects Officer at Area 51 in Nevada. Uh, this hour has gone fast. Love talking about our space program and and the, the heroes that, that did so much for us back in the 50s and 60s. And uh, T.D., I appreciate Thank you for your service to our country, sir. I appreciate everything that you've done. Thank you. Uh, I want to make a mention of his website, www.td hyphen barnes b-a-r-n-e-s dot com uh his uh facebook is facebook.com forward slash thornton d barnes uh and his books i gotta talk about his books and we're gonna discuss that in detail in a couple seconds here td the angels the archangels the company business and of course the autobiography of yours soaring with eagles i also want to make mention folks of the great programming uh on the exome broadcast network and i want to encourage everybody to go to www.xzbn.net and check out all of the terrific programming on the exome radio and television broadcast network and certainly visit me at www.paranormalstakeout.com or www.paranormalstakeout.com paranormalfbi.com um interesting show td i i'm i've it's really fascinating to talk to somebody that was on the ground there uh being involved in all these things and you've you've written uh, what a trilogy correct yes oh tell them tell us a little bit about it okay Uh, and these became the um you might say the bible at cia now when we go back there you know we go back there quite often i go back about every two or three months and you would take a pilot or engineer with me and and we will sit down and talk to the historians and the um the air branch in particular loves to talk to us and then um the the defense intelligence agency just now started to declassify what they did here in nevada and they were as bigger player as the CIA was, they they've never told their story. So last August, I went back and I took uh, Gary Power Jr. with me and um, mm. uh, a, a U-2 SR-71 pilot, uh, uh, Tony Bavacher, went back and we did a panel at the Defense Intelligence Agency to the workforce, just talking about the programs and 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 we'll be doing that quite regularly. But uh, we do. We do a lot of presentations now to uh, uh, universities and stuff like that. So it's such an interesting uh, piece of history. And or quite frankly, even the CIA, though it was a CIA project, they didn't know what we did out there because back then it was so compartmentalized that we didn't talk to each other. We didn't, no one talked. You, and the people working today had, didn't have a clue of what all we did out there. So they contacted me about 15 years ago. And said we got a problem. We, you know, we don't know what you guys did at Area 51, and um, so now that we, we go back there quite regularly, I, I just got to really compliment them on how how what the effort they have put in to reconstruct the history of what went on out there. What was the most significant project, event, situation that you encountered? being part of Area 51? I, I think the most significant, I mean, the one that really, really had a bearing was the, the first MIG program, because in Vietnam, the kill ratio was nine to one against us. We lost 15 mm-hmm. planes in one day and didn't shoot down a single one. 
Yep. And, and the uh, Russians that came out with the MiG-21 fish bed, a mystery plane, and uh, and we were giving it credit for it was shooting out a pilot that, uh, just left and right. Well, there's an Iraqi pilot defected with a brand new MiG-21 for Israel. And Israel let us have that plane. That was Project Hadlu. And we brought it out there. And then the first thing we did was tore it down, see how they built it. And then we put it back together and then start flying it. Well, the Navy came in first and flew whatever they had in their inventory against it. And on the first flight, we got a 100% kill against the Navy with us in the MiG and them flying whatever, the F-4s, whatever. And then we did the same thing with the Air Force. The Navy immediately, and within two months, started the Top Gun Weapons School. Mm-hmm. And overnight, they, they, they turned the kill ratio completely around. It took the Air Force about two more years before they got smart, and they did the same thing and started uh, the red flag exercises. Mm-hmm. And they completely turned the losses around. And then you stop and think about it. It now has been several wars since we lost the plane in air-to-air combat. They, we don't get shot down by other planes anymore. It just doesn't happen. And well, yeah. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. What we realized uh, is we were sending our pe- pe- people into battle untrained and take about mm-hmm. 10 m- missions for them to learn enough that they might survive the war. So we said, let's give them those 10 missions in the battle rather than Vietnam. So that's what we did. We started our own mid squadron. Uh, we, we were flying MiGs. We had a whole squadron of them. The, the guys flying, would, would, they fought like Russians. They would actually play the Russian national anthem before they headed out to engage whoever was flying out of Nellis. And uh-huh. they fight like Russians, not like Americans. And we, that's how we, we turned it around. Well, and from what I understand, too, uh, from uh, my knowledge of the history of it, we had forgotten how to be fighter pilots. We uh, and the the uh, Vietnamese and the Russians were still were still fighting their airplanes while we were standing off with the, with rockets. And once that changed, the kill ratio changed, and that's where Top Gun really helped. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We, we were we were sending planes. We came out of Korean War shooting guns. When the Vietnam War shooting missiles, they decided if we got a missile, we don't need guns. So that's actually sending our planes into war with no, with, without a gun on them. It's yeah. Just, shoot your yeah. missiles, what, what did you have, you know? Yeah, in fact, it was the F-4E, I think, that introduced the Vulcan 20-millimeter back in as a gun, and that helped. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, I I got to ask you a question. I, I realize that you've never saw anything at, at, at um, Area 51 that resembled anything extraterrestrial. And, and, and I accept that uh, that you haven't. But is it possible that something could have gone on there that you did not know about? Is that possible? Not, not in those days, because it was, there, was that, there wasn't that many people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it worked, anyone, they had the permanent party, that, that, like myself. There was 23 of us. We had a few cooks and, and people that maintained the, the housing and, and stuff like that. That's the only ones that could even live in this state. Everyone else had to live out of state and commute in. Mm-hmm. And the security was so tight, you had a manifest. But like I uh, say, there just wasn't that many people. Now, you had customers, what we call them customers. It's actually, that's the reason I call it the company business. The CIA was the proprietor and, the, and everybody else were customers. And so we, they'd come out there and uh, security was such that you knew who everybody was affiliated with. Now, we didn't talk to each other, uh, but you knew what program each other was connected with. But it was very, very primitive. There just wasn't that much stuff out there at that time. It, well, it what, what, what is your thoughts? There's a lot of controversy. A lot of different people have different opinions on the Roswell incident. What are your thoughts on it? Well, that happened, uh, you know, of course, that happened in 47. And, and the, right. Uh, and uh, that was before Air 51, Air 51 didn't start in 55. But the, I, I always thought it was an experimental plane that, that went down or some kind that we, we weren't talking about. But we were, we, we were joint venturing with Canada on a wingless plane. Northup was doing it. And mm-hmm. they actually had a little strip down here by Prim, Nevada, right going into California, where this flying this thing. It's a fly, little flying wing. It wasn't about like an F-117. It wasn't very big. It wasn't even that big. And 
I always thought we, we landed something uh, there. And of course, uh, Roswell was where we had all of our atomic bombs stored at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was kind of a delicate place to be. And I always thought it was some kind of prototype that, that went down there. But, you know, who knows? You know, it's um, these stories just started. And, you know, you talk about the Black Book. You know, we got, you know, we had a lot of sightings that were some of the UFO sightings that you're talking about. And the, the uh, uh, Blue Book officers, they used some low officer, maybe not above a major, would be investigating it. And if they got too close, you know, tracking it down and it were to the point it's going to expose what we were doing, you know, someone with a little more rank is calling them size list, you got it. That's a top secret program, make up a story and go home. And they did. And that's reading all the stories just didn't uh, set very well. So, so do you think that the um, the UFO craze may have been a deliberate ruse by the CIA to turn, you know, get people away from what they were doing? Do you think that's possible? No, I, I don't think it's that extent. I think a lot of people did see things, and 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 there's there are people that see things that you know that, that they go out any night of the week and they'll see something, and that's just their nature, uh, and. Uh, so, no, I don't think it was really programmed that we did kind of benefit by it because people kept making these crazy reports, you know, and it made them look foolish when it's proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. But there were sightings, but it couldn't, you know, like the A12, for example, it couldn't be, it, now, just learning that, it, you think of a UFO, but just this movement, so to turn that thing around and make a U-turn, uh-huh. a minimum, this is for U-turns, 85 miles. We usually took about 125 miles for us to make a U-turn. Lord. Well, all right, then, as we uh, we got got about a minute left, and I'm going to ask you this last, this question. Do you, T.D., do you, T.D. Barnes, believe in the, believe the fact that, or believe that UFOs or extraterrestrials have visited us on this planet? I don't think so. Uh, Because we're so far away from the nearest, nearest. You know, I uh, I think they're on, they're out there, but I, I don't. I really don't think they've ever visited. Us. And and you've never seen any evidence of it. Uh, not at all. Not, not okay. Not. And, and, and I don't know of any any of our pilots. You know, they're fifteen, and all these pilots. I don't know of any pilots that ever saw anything. Okay. Well, with that, my friend, I'm afraid our time together has come to a close. I really enjoyed uh, our discussion. Thank you so much for being on the show. Folks, thanks for listening, and be with us next time as we continue our journey into the unknown. Have a good night. See you on the other side. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. 
Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. <laughs> 